G'day and welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Just a reminder as well, the clarity may not be as good as it is when we're in the studio. And even though the last couple of weeks we have been able to go into there, today we're off-site again. But uh, it's getting better and better each week, so I'm really happy about that. But one day we will be back in the studio full-time, which will be lovely. So I would like to introduce everyone to Robert Makoviak. Great to be here, Clip. Thanks for having me. Excellent. That's well, it's great to have you and thank you for, for coming on. Now, Robert is actually doing his Master of Science in Biomechanics in the School of Kinesiology and Health Studies under the supervision of Dr. Pat Costigan. So how's all that going for you at the moment, Robert? It's going very well. It's uh, going along the timeline very well. Might even finish early, which is great. I love to hear that. So your defense is coming up soon? Yeah. So defense is hoping to be scheduled kind of mid or end of May and then moving on to other projects after that. Brilliant, brilliant. And uh, of course, during COVID, of course, those are remote defences, which are a little bit different, but they have, I guess, probably not as intimidating being on a computer screen as it is in person. So uh, I guess there's some pluses from, from that. Exactly. Now, it's interesting that you're doing biomechanics because I must admit it's a bit of a favorite of mine because way, way, way back when I was actually at university many moons ago, I did, at that stage, it was called uh, a Bachelor of Physical Education, but mm -hmm. then it got changed to Human Movement, and now it's called Kinesiology, within Kinesiology and Health Studies. And between exercise physiology and biomechanics, they were actually my two favorite. So what made you want to study biomechanics? Well, that's great to hear, first of all. I love that. I know. I mean, like I said, it was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> still counts. Still counts. Well, you know, I was... First introduced to biomechanics in my undergrad at the University of Toronto. I did kinesiology and physical education degree there as well. Uh, and I had a fantastic introductory biomechanics professor there, and his name was uh, Dr. Tyson Beach. And he was just very interested in what he was teaching, and it made me right. very interested in what I was learning. And I've always been interested in kind of the way that the body moves, less so on the chemistry side of things, the physiology, the muscle action, that type of stuff, more so on the physics side of things. Right. In high school, actually, I took the, I was in the International Baccalaureate program in high school, which is, I, I did my high school in Dubai, and I did the International Baccalaureate oh, program. Okay. And I was the only person in my graduating class that took both biology and physics. So there was a lot of people that took biology and chemistry or chemistry and physics. And I was the only person that took both biology and physics, which really aligns perfectly with kinesiology and biomechanics as yes. a whole. It's really, you're taking the biology of the human and you're applying these forces and you're applying kind of those physical uh, aspects yeah. to it. It's interesting, actually, because when I was, sorry, when I was in high school, I mean, I did a minor in physics and I 
wouldn't say I particularly liked it, mm-hmm. but that's probably because we were using slinkies and things and I couldn't <laughs> sort of see where it was going. Whereas as soon as mm-hmm. I got to university and, and like you said, exactly that, when you're looking at the human body and being a sport, sporty person myself, it was like, oh, I understand what we're trying to do here. So it, you're right, it makes a, it makes a natural fit. Are you an athlete yourself? Not a good one. I'd say, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I, I know, know we all I, aspire, don't we? <laughs> I play. I play everything I can. I'm okay at most things. In high school, I played basketball and volleyball. At uh, my undergrad level, I played a lot of the intramural sports, just kind of getting involved with everything basketball, volleyball as well. And here, last year, in my first year of my master's, I was playing intramural volleyball as well. But right. once COVID hit, that kind of Obviously, that all went away. Mm-hmm. There was a brief stint about the, the past two weeks or so where uh, pickleball intramurals were, were oh, going what, on. What's pickleball? Pickleball, I had to learn it just because I had to get involved in some type of sport. So they yeah. offered pickleball and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm doing that. I found it to be a mix between tennis and badminton and ping pong. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> that's um, like conjures up a lot of things. <laughs> So, so is it something you can play with just two people, is it? As opposed it is, to, yeah. You can play right. like singles, like tennis, yeah. or you can play doubles with just one other person. Right, okay. Side. Well, that makes sense. But it was interesting that you said volleyball and basketball because that's a perfect segue into <laughs> your research because your research topic is how does the coordination of your lower body change based on how high you jump? So, of course, basketball, volleyball, lots of jumping in there. And we normally have tall, tallish athletes mm-hmm. that play that sport. I know we have some smaller ones, but in, predominantly they're taller athletes with longer limbs and things like that. So I'm sure that all comes into play with what you're doing. So can you give us a bit of an overview of what you are trying to accomplish? Yeah. So there are a lot of those taller athletes that are kind of participating in those words. I'm 6'4 myself. Uh, oh, are you? You can't right. tell that on the screen. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you, you can't really see that virtually, but no. <laughs> I, I'm 6'4, yeah. And I've been a I've been a basketball and volleyball player my whole life. And I got really interested in those sports and I got thinking about the jumping aspect of those sports and doing research in those sports. And I was lucky enough in my fourth year at U of T to get a thesis project with that same professor, Dr. Beach. And it was right. really understanding the uh, like the core features of the vertical jump and what's going on there. No like novel research being done there in my undergrad, but really just kind of a deep dive into what the jump is and how that how it works. While I was doing that, I also had a pretty traumatic uh, ankle injury Oops. Uh, from jumping. <laughs> right, right. So it, it really, it. my life was chosen for me almost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better than being your own guinea pig, is there? <laughs> exactly. And so at the end of my fourth year, I, I started thinking about my master's and I was like, well, I'm doing jumping. I'm very interested in jumping. I got this injury from jumping. Why not continue this? And I contacted Dr. Costigan, my now supervisor, and he was fully on board with letting me kind of run with my jumping research and trying to understand it more. And, you know, jumping is, it's called a fundamental movement skill. It's one of these like seven things that kids learn um, when they're very young and it's, it's understudied. It really, there is quite few research studies that really go into the deep dive of how people jump and how really right. our body moves in such a way to propel ourselves away from the ground. When you think about it, it's, 
it's quite an extreme activity. You're, you're, you're pushing it's, what, like 170 pounds off the ground for. Some of us might be more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that got me thinking and it got me researching and I, I started looking at the coordination of the vertical jump and just like the jump itself, you think of coordination and you, you start to try and define coordination in your head and you have a little bit of difficulty doing that. Everyone kind of gets what coordination is, but it's hard to put it into words. And what what I found out is that there's this operationalized definition of coordination that's kind of focused on how segments move with each other. And so segments in the lower extremity, it's you have your foot, your shank, which is your lower leg, your thigh and your pelvis. And what I got from there is I, I started thinking about, well, how do these segment movements change based on how high you jump? So a proxy for coordination kind of, and how does this coordination change? Uh, and to assess that, we, we had people jump to 25, 50, 75, and 100% of their maximum jump to try and see how, uh, how their jump coordination changes across kind of those four levels there. It's interesting that you the way you wrote your thesis topic, because you could have put it the other way around in terms of how high you can jump depending on how coordinated your lower mm-hmm. body is. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've, you've put it looking at the coordination of the lower body or looking at the height that you're jumping, what effect has that had yeah. on your lower? So you kind of flipped it, which is interesting. Yeah. So I don't want to assume that certain coordination patterns are associated with higher jumps. I just wanted to do an exploratory thesis here where I'm kind of taking these people and we're saying, yes, okay, you jump this high. This is how high you jump. Right. Now let's see why that's happening why and that's how happening. it's changing. And whether they change their pattern depending mm-hmm. on what height yeah, they're right. looking to jump at at the time. So you have said to us a little bit about why you've got into this particular research, mm-hmm. but do you think you'd want to you'd want to take that a little bit further? Because I'm looking at the, you know the research you, you call this like your research space. How do you get into this research space? Mm-hmm. Well, you've given us a pretty good background of of your own personal mm-hmm. reasons for getting in there and and how you're doing, but. Is this something, because you're flipping it a little bit, has this been looked at before in that way for other activities? That's a great question, Colette. No, it really hasn't. This type of analysis with coordination, you know, it's been done mostly on running and gait. Uh, Right. So what researchers have done in the past is they've had people run at different speeds. And based on those speeds, they've looked at how this coordination of their lower body changes. Um, But my research is a little bit more extended than that because, yes, we're looking at how these people jump from 25, 50, 75, and 100% of their maximum jump, but we're also breaking down that jump into its phases. And so something I haven't mentioned yet is that the jump is kind of based on these three phases that are important to how you perform the jump. It's called, they're called the unweighting, eccentric, and concentric phases. Now, if we were in a classroom, I can draw it. (laughs) (laughs) I can draw it out, see how it works. Um, Can't do that right now. But pretty much what I can say is that the unweighting and eccentric phases are as you're going down. Right. And then the uh, concentric phase is when you're pushing back up. And so what's been found in the past in jumping research is that this eccentric phase, that middle portion, is very important to how high you jump and how kind of how fast you propel yourself up from the right. ground. Right. Um, 
And so based on that, we've, we've structured my research to categorize this coordination into those three different phases and see not only as a whole is this coordination changing, but also is it changing um, with respect to each individual phase as well? And is there one phase right. that's moving more than the other, for example? I think the obvious question that people might be wondering is when you're looking at the different jumps, are you looking from a two-footed stationary jump mm-hmm. straight up? Or is it like for basketball, if you're doing a layup, that's a very different kind of jumping height yeah. than it is from doing a jump shot, for instance? So, yeah, that's a great question as well. What we're looking at is we're just for simplicity's sake, we are having people stand on force plates, which are kind of... Which makes sense. Very expensive uh, scales. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh, And we have one foot on each of these force plates and we're just having them go down and up with no run up or anything. Uh, Right. So we understand that in basketball and volleyball games, usually or sometimes there is this one foot foot step and then up. It's hard to do that in a research capacity. What we have done instead is that a lot of the research being done on jumping in the past has done it with arms akimbo is what it's called. And so arms akimbo means that your your hands are kind of on your hips and you're not swinging your arms. Right, right. So it's purely everything that's going from the lower body down. and up. Exactly. And we took that and I started thinking about that. And, you know, as, as nice of a research method as that is, you know, that's never done in practice. No, you don't right. ever see someone kind of jumping down with their arms on their hips. Uh, Unless they're doing the Irish jig. <laughs> exactly. And that, that might be a future research uh, <laughs> stream of mine. And so what we are doing is we're allowing that arm swing uh, to kind of happen fluidly, which is, so we're taking away that step that sometimes happens in the jump, yeah. but we are letting them swing their arms. But it's interesting. And I'm, to be honest, I mean, it's irrelevant what I think, but I think that's a good thing because I remember back in primary school, we used to have all these little fitness tests that the the country used to make mm-hmm. sure all kids had to do. And mm-hmm. one of them was the standing vertical jump. Mm-hmm. We were allowed to use our arms. Exactly. Um, and that's that's where that fundamental movement skill kind of comes in. It's like these kids are doing it at that young age, but we really don't know how how this coordination is changing based on the height. And you know, it's not only that, it's it's in the NFL combine as well, in the in the NBA oh, okay. combine. They do the vertical jumps as well. So how high can you jump? That's a real metric that these these executives are using to select their players and select their athletes for the future. And so with my research, if we can find a way or a coordination style that can get you to jump higher, well, that's going to or predict a coordination style that's predicting future jump height. Predicting is a good word because, I mean, everyone's body shape and structure is always slightly different. So mm-hmm we can give our best guess of what's the best way. But we do mm-hmm. find people, athletes, who have got the strangest, absolutely strangest way of doing things. Exactly. But they succeed. <laughs> so, so it's good that it's more of a prediction. You know, and that's offer. exactly what we're finding with with my results as well, is that there's there's these there's these general trends that are showing up that are changing across the jump heights. So the coordination in certain aspects and certain phases are changing across the jump heights. But when you look at it as a, as a subject specific analysis, everyone jumps differently. So Mm -hmm. you can have, 
You can have a high jumper and a low jumper jump completely the same way, or you can have two high jumpers jump completely differently. Right. Um, and so it's creating this focus on subject specific analysis and kind of making sure that hopefully when my research is used in the future, it's understood that people jump differently and that you need to train one person differently than another person. Right, right, right. So Robert, you talk about the different heights. How do you, and and the difficulty sometimes of people trying to do 25%. So how did you actually work out what each person's 25, 50, 75 percent is of, of, of a jump. That was a big challenge of mine. It was it was quite tough to figure that out because you think of jumping to 50% of your maximum jump. Well, as as you, if I had you come in, you know, you you know what a hundred percent is. Yes. You just like go as hard as you can and that's what it is, right? But if I tell you to jump to 50% of your jump height, well that's that's a little bit tougher, right? True. I'd have to have a marker. <laughs> So it's funny you say that. So that's exactly what we did. And so what we did was we had you jump as high as you possibly could. And we took the distance between how high you possibly jumped and then like slapped a piece of tape on the wall. Right. Um, and that's your that's how high you can go with your arm stretched out. Uh, and then we had you just standing still on the ground with your arm raised up as well. Uh, and the difference between those two numbers is your maximum jump height. So that's that's right. how high you got off the ground. So I divided that number by four, and that's kind of the increment of 25, 50, 75, 100, right? But then, okay, that's fine. How do I jump that? <laughs> How do I, jump <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I had, to, I had to figure it out. And especially during COVID time, I, I couldn't get someone else to help, help me kind of test right. this out. So it was me alone in the lab figuring this out. And we can't have you just thinking about the 50% jump height because that's not very reliable. You won't, you won't jump the same height every time. So what we did instead is I, uh, like stickied a hook onto the ceiling of our lab and I ran a pulley system with a rope. Uh, so I ran, <laughs> I, I, I hooked a rope to the ceiling that it can be lowered or raised. And we had you stand on the force plate and your arm all the way up. Oh yes, because you're not next to a wall, are you? Yeah, you're, you're in the on middle, the force yeah, plate. Right. You're in the middle of you're in the middle of a, a lab, right? And so we ha- we lowered this rope up to the point where your maximum reach height is. And then on that rope there were tape markers. So I taped blue, green, blue, green. Right. At 25, 50, 75, and hundred percent. And that's how high you had to jump to. And then you would go and touch those different markers. So it's not, so it, I mean, people could still jump above whatever marker you're telling them to reach. Yeah. So that's, that's the tough part of it. And especially that was what was hard with the 25 is that mm-hmm. jumping so low was quite hard to do for them. You know, there is this tape marker that was four centimeters away from their maximum reach. Height yeah, and they like, had to jump <laughs> only to four centimeters, four centimeters with a raised arm. Right. So it's kind of like, let me just sort of push off. No, yeah. no bend at all. Just straight up but it was a a fun little process to kind of get that figured out yeah because i forgot about the force plates because i would have thought oh just put some tape mark tape marks on the wall Uh and then they have to sort of reach that and and tip that yeah no you're you're in the middle of a room mm -hmm. as my participants know you're in the middle of a room with nothing around you kind of for 10 feet so did you give them a chance to practice to get used to it practice yeah practices they needed (laughs) That's good. Well, thank you for, for, for sharing that. I, it was one of those sort of things you think, oh, 
How how did that happen? How do you work that out? The like you said, the hundred percent was the easy one to work uh-huh. out. Exactly. Great. So, I mean, you've you've brought up some of the challenges that you've actually got, mm-hmm. but I guess one of the challenges because of COVID, how are you finding subjects to do this? Is are you still able to get people into the lab um, mm-hmm. to help you move forward? I mean, you're almost at the end, so I guess you have, but maybe you got them done before COVID. I don't know. <laughs> so all the way through, I got extremely lucky with everything that happened with my masters. So. To start off last March, when all of this went down, uh, I still had no idea what my research was going to be. And so right. I didn't need to get into the lab at that point, which was which was good for me because I wasn't allowed anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then sometime around, you know, June, July, I, I started piloting my research. And so what that means is that I needed some jump data to kind of understand what I'm looking at. Right. And before I start even looking at participants, and I was, I was so lucky because I, I just floated it out on Twitter, you know, on my Twitter account. I was like, "Hey, biomechanics Twitter, if if anyone has any jump data that I can use because I can't get into the lab, I would really appreciate it." Right. I had all these amazing people come forward, and they they actually gave me this force data and this this marker data. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, and that allowed me to pilot my research without actually needing to go into the lab, which was awesome for me. And then come around, uh, when was it? It was October or November, uh, cases started to die down again, and uh, Queen started to allow people to do in-person human research, Right, which was perfect because I had piloted at that time, and I was now ready to actually get participants in. So it was perfect timing for me. I submitted my ethics. I submitted my covid protocol document which was required and november 2nd i started collecting people like in-person human did you go straight to the varsity athletes or did you want general population i wanted general population just to get a a range of kind of skill level so one of the one of the variables that i collected were years of jumping experience um, that my participants had and that ranged from zero to 17 which is great for me I have this great variability in there. Um, But I got super lucky because uh, a lot of my friends and a lot of kin students in general, uh, very happy to come in and kind of do my research for me. So I advertised both to my friends and also on the Kinesiology Undergraduate Association page. And that really helped me get my 16 participants in, I think it was a month and a half. So I was doing doing a lot, a lot of participant testing within that month and a half. And, you know, December rolled around and then we got locked down again. So I got my 16 participants in. um, So then you could just analyze. Yeah. At that point, I'm locked down again and I can actually start doing the processing and the analysis. <laughs> so so with that though, what have you found with your analysis and the research mm-hmm. that you've done? I mean, are there coordination changes across the the four levels of jumping that you mentioned, 25, 50, 75 and 100? Yes, so we can say that confidently yes there is. And so that's good to see because it means that people are actually doing something differently to get to these different heights. And it's funny because my participants would always say when they were doing the 25% conditions, they would be like, oh, this I hate this. This sucks. Because <laughs> like uh, if you think about your maximum jump height, typically it's about like 15 centimeters or something like that. 25% of that, I'm not going to do the math right now. But yeah, it's, it's not it's, worth it, it's is like it? Three, three, I think it's 
three or four centimeters. Yeah, it's kind of like, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it was interesting because, you know, that, that coordination does change. So it's not only you not liking to jump at 25% of your height, but you're, you're jumping differently. Right. And I can tell you that, you know, the hip is really dominant in this, this change. Uh, oh, is that? So, okay. Yeah. So what we're seeing is that the ankle, regardless of how high you're jumping, the ankle is doing the same thing. It's pushing off in the same way. And it's the two segments that are on either side of the ankle is how we assess it. And that's the foot and the shank or your lower leg. Right. Um, and so the relationship between those two segments is relatively the same, regardless of how high you jump. Whereas when, when you look at the hip or the two segments that are next to that, which is the, the thigh and the pelvis, that kind of segmental relationship is changing quite a lot um, between these, these different jump heights. Is it in the angle or is it more to that? So it's, it's, it's based on the both angles. Um, the coordination value we use is a little complicated, but really what it boils down to is it's, it's seeing how both the thigh angle and the pelvis angle change relative to each other. Right. And that's, that's a measure of coordination there. Is some of that difference because of the power of the muscles in the thigh? So that's that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, I'm I'm currently in the process of writing my discussion. So if you, <laughs> you <laughs> Got I'll, any send you an, I'll send you an email <laughs> later, and anyone who's listening can read my paper when I say it. But, uh, yeah, so the muscles is a good idea for that, um, and that makes me want to go to the gym and train my quads and hamstrings right, right now. Yes. <laughs> But it's interesting you mentioned the ankle and the hip, but you haven't mentioned the knee. Yeah, so the knee kind of just splits the middle there. It's more responsive than the ankle and it's less responsive than the hip. So it kind of goes up the chain there, whereas the ankle is the least and then the knee and then the hip. What about, I mean, because you've talked about the angles, but what about the forces themselves? I mean, because that's a big part, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, some people don't get enough force. Well, there's two things. One, they don't get enough force behind, Mm -hmm. but also when you were talking about coordination, they, a jump shot's a classic example. Some people have got beautiful jump shots and Mm -hmm. it's like they're hanging in the air and things, but to get to where that point is, it's, it's the coordination of going from the ankle all the way up through the body mm-hmm. that in the right sort of timing and things like that, that's helped them with their jump. So, you know, how is that come into play at all with looking at the forces and things from the forces with going through the ankle to the, to the, the knee through to the hip? Wow, Colette, you can take my spot. That's a great analysis. <laughs> See, I did remember something. It might have been 20, 30 odd years ago, but I've remembered something. <laughs> that's great. No, uh, that's exactly what it is. So in a lot of these explosive tasks like jumping, you have something called this proximal to distal sequencing. And what that is, is that your proximal joints are the ones kind of closest to your head you can think of. So your hip is closer to your head than your knee, than your ankle. So in that concentric phase of the jump, in uh, that push-off, when you're pushing off away from the ground, mm-hmm. what's going to happen first timing-wise is that your hip's going to extend, and then your knee is going to extend, and then your ankle is going to extend. Oh, okay. So they're not like one happens, and then the next the happens, next. and then the third, but there, there's an overlap. So the peak extension of the hip happens before the peak extension of the knee and then the ankle. And so that's, that's kind of where we're thinking that is that because the hip goes first, then it's 
the most responsive. It's dominating this this mm-hmm. movement here, and it's it's setting the tone for the rest of the joints, right? So uh, is is this something that can be learned to do better? Because, yeah. I mean, normally when you jump, you don't want to think too much about it because once you start thinking, it's like, oh, I've got to do this. Th-. When, yeah. you, when you're first learning a new skill, mm-hmm. you go through in steps. But if you're, like you said, they're actually overlapping. There's not mm-hmm. this bit, this bit, and this. So how do you teach that? Well, that's going to be my PhD project, I think. That's Excellent. what I'm hoping for. <laughs> um, so we're, we've found this these results here, and they're very interesting, to say the least. And from here is where we start to go into that motor control aspect of things. So right. kind of in our lab, we're, we're split between two groups. We have the biomechanists who kind of look at motion and the motor control specialists that kind of understand why motion happens. Uh, right. And this field is really bridging that, that gap, what I'm trying to do. And so from here, where we're going is that we have to try and understand, can you learn specific coordination strategies? So ba- using like, tactile feedback or audio feedback or visual feedback, kind of seeing how one coordination pattern differs from the other. Right. Can we bring participants in and can we have them learn something differently? Can we teach you to jump something that you've learned from a kid? Can we now teach you to do it differently? And how are we going to do that? Uh, I think that's a, a great question. And, it, and it's not going to be easy. I know myself, I'm, I love to watch people's technique. Mm-hmm. And then try it myself. And I know mm-hmm. myself sometimes when I'll give a classic example to everyone. I was many, a few years ago, I was in one of those um, old age sort of volleyball tournaments kind of thing. And I could have sworn I got off the ground, but apparently I didn't at the net. I thought <laughs> I'd, I had done really well. And they go, Colette, you didn't even get off the ground. I said, but I know I was moving my arms and it felt like I'd gone up, but apparently not. So that always makes me laugh. I think I used to be a really good jumper. Well, but, uh, if, you want, if you want to learn how to jump differently, let's wait until I'm in my PhD and hopefully we can do that for you. That would be great because I used to love my jump shot. I used to have a sweet jump shot. Mm-hmm. I, everyone used to say sometimes that, Clet, you've got great technique. Pity about you're a bad basketballer. <laughs> Because I as was soon too as the ball goes on the ground, it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Or as soon as someone was in front of my face yeah. defending me, it was kind of like, no, you know, go away. I've got a nice shot. Leave it. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this will actually be really good. I mean, with some of the work that you're doing, I know you, you're specifically looking at jumping, but do you think down the track, and then maybe this is unfair to ask, but down the track that looking at the coordination of the lower body for things like jumping could help kids with perhaps developmental delays or things. I, I mean, I'm just putting it out there as opposed to just looking at athletes in, in general. Exactly. So there's that one part of it. There's the high performance part of it. And then there's the injury rehabilitation or developmental disorder part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so by better understanding how these athletes perform the skill, we can structure a training or a learning aspect of it in the rehabilitation or teaching part of it. Right. And so what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to understand something that's never been done before, you know, understand with this complexity, how is this jump performed? And then we can move that to, okay, well, you used to jump really high and then you got injured. Can we get you back to that level or hey, using this stick figure animation, can you try and copy what this stick figure is doing to jump? Right. I think it would be really good for, um, I'm going back to primary school, 
mm-hmm. where I mean, to me, that's the best place to learn when you're young. Anyway, um, when we when we do these tests, if in fact they still do them in school, I'm not sure. But to be able to test our kids and say, you know, and and find out earlier whether they have coordination issues, mm-hmm. and by using jumping as an example for them, and 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 looking at it that way. Exactly, because it's it's both a complex skill and a simple skill when you think about it. So there's this there's this research study that has come out that pretty much stated that the vertical jump is a requires a high degree of coordination in the upper and lower body ex- extremities. But when you think about it, you're like, well, I'm just pushing off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of both. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you, you you can see then a lot of different ways that your research can be used down the track, which is awesome. Exactly. Yeah. And especially with that primary school aspect there, you know, I'm a firm believer that one of the greatest things that you can teach a a kid is physical literacy Mm -hmm. uh, and being able to kind of move smoothly and performed skills, both in athletic and regular contexts. Right. And if, if my research can kind of help with that, I would feel amazing about that. Do you think this is something that could be transferred to other skills like throwing and things? That's another thing. I mean, everyone Mm -hmm. has different ways of throwing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you already mentioned running. I mean, some kids don't get taught how to run properly. And who knows what damage they're doing to their hips and things as they get older because Mm -hmm. they haven't learned how to be in the right frame for Mm -hmm. it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I would hope that this type of research can be expanded to other skills, whether it becomes running or throwing or swimming or anything like that. The base understanding of coordination can be transferred and the way we assess it really isn't that complicated. And so mm-hmm. if if a coach or a professional in the biomechanics field can work with what I'm doing and work with the methods I'm using to help athletes or the general population, you know, that'd be great. Yeah. You're looking at the height of a jump and, and yep. the coordination of the lower lower extremities. Have you, while you're doing this, did you take any measurements of the landing? I did not. Okay. Uh, we did collect the landing. And so what's typically done is the takeoff is typically analyzed for uh, force production. And then the landing is analyzed for injury prevention so right. you're not going to get injured on the takeoff. You are going to get injured on the landing, but right. how high you jump depends on the takeoff. Right. right? So it's it's that saying, you know, what goes up must come down. And that's yes. what jumping <laughs> is. Right? There is. There's these two parts of it that are not disconnected from each other. And, you know, I might only be looking at the takeoff, but future research or research from other people might also be looking at the coordination and the landing. So they could use some of the the data that you've collected to get cracking with with that exactly. the yeah. second part i have all that all that landing data oh, if anyone they're wants gonna it. love you they're <laughs> gonna love you <laughs> see i love this collaboration i mean you got help from people on twitter yeah. and you've done your research and now some people might be able to use your landing data as well so yeah. so that that's really nice fascinating and like I said, I've got a bit of a bias there, so I, I know I could talk forever on this, but I, I really do appreciate you coming in, Robert. It's been a pleasure to listen to what you're doing, and you've done it in such a short time, so kudos mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, it's been a short time, and it's been a little complicated time, as as I'm sure you can understand, <laughs> yes. but I'm, uh, 
I'm very happy with the progress I've made. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. I love, I love talking about this stuff. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you put your hand up. So, uh, so best of luck with that. We are going to have to call it quits there, but thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you very much. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcast, or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Thank you.